Well, today we're going to start a brand new sermon series, and we've entitled it Wise Words. And the reason is because we've been walking through, as you know, uh, the Scripture this year. We're walking through from January all the way through uh, to the 1st of July, reading through all of God's Word in six months. And, and you know if you're following along right now, we're like right smack dab in the middle of Proverbs. And we move into Proverbs, which obviously is a book of wisdom. We know that. And so today we're going to start as we move into, for the next couple of weeks, this, this wisdom books, the wisdom series that are found in God's Word. We, we decided to, to use this as a kind of a mini-series in the middle of, a, of a, a, a time of reading through God's Word to help us see exactly what it is that God wants us to hear. Now obviously you're probably sitting there thinking, well wait a minute, we're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs comes first in the Bible, and then Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Solomon. So why are we starting with Song of Solomon? Well, there's a logical reason for that, because Solomon wrote all three of these books, or at least most of them, and so Solomon wrote these books in a different order that we find them in our Bible. You see, the Song of Solomon, the book we're going to be in today, was a, a book that he wrote when he was a young man in love. The book of Proverbs was a book that he wrote when he was in middle age and had been granted a lot of wisdom that he had asked God for and God had given that to him. And then Ecclesiastes was written when he was an old man looking back on his life, recognizing all of the problems, all of the challenges, all of the mistakes, and helping us to point back to what really matters in life. And so we're taking it in the, the chronology of how he wrote them rather than what we find them in our Bible. And so today we're going to be in the Song of Solomon, a book that was written when he was young. And the book of Song of Solomon is kind of an interesting, it actually is a song. That's why it's called the Song of Solomon. Now Solomon wrote a lot of songs. He was very prolific in writing songs. In fact, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, it says that he wrote a thousand and five songs. That's how many songs that he wrote during his lifetime. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. And so uh, he wrote a lot of songs. And some of your uh, translations that you might have in your laps right now that you're looking at, it actually doesn't call this the Song of Solomon, it calls it the Song of Songs. Now the reason for that is because this particular song that we're going to walk through today is the one in which uh, they, you know, God certainly, you know, inspired these words that it was the, the one song above all the other songs that made all the difference. And this is a song that really is a love song. It's a love song that, that is sung kind of as a duet with kind of a, a bunch of backup singers, you know. We saw that a little while ago when this team was up here leading, Scott was leading, and the worship team was up behind him. And that's kind of the picture of what this is, because it's a song of a, of a man, of a king, who's singing to a, a woman, a Shulamite woman that he found that he fell in love with when he was very young. And, and this Shulamite woman is singing back to him in that beautiful duet. And then there's a chorus behind them that is coming alongside and singing behind them. And in the middle of this song, what we see is a beautiful picture of how to love, of what love looks like and what love means and why it's so vitally important. Now, there are two interpretations of this book or this song, and, and today we're going to kind of hit on both of them. The first, uh, uh, the first interpretation is a little, literal interpretation, which is just taking it for what it is, where, where there's a man who's in love with a woman, when a man loves a woman, that should be a song, when a man loves a woman, and when a woman loves a man, and they're singing to one another, talking about the love that they have for one another, that's the literal interpretation, and it is a, an accurate, a valid one. But there's also a, a comparison, a, a kind of a, a, a companion, if you will, interpretation of talking about a spiritual interpretation of the love between Christ and His church, the body of Christ. And so today, that's kind of what we're going to walk through. 
And so we're going to just jump right into this passage and talk about how to love, how to make sure that love is is done in the right way, both in the marriage relationship, but also in the, the body of Christ, in the church relationship. And so we're going to talk about, like, how to love. We're going to get a picture of what love is all about, of what love really means. And the first thing we see in this passage in Song of Solomon in the first chapter is this. It's a love of overwhelming desire. Look what it says in verse 7. Tell me, now this is the woman singing to the man, tell me, you the one that I love, where do you pasture your sheep? And where do you let them rest at noon? Why should I be like one who veils herself besides the flocks of your companions? Now, I know all of you are sitting there right now, and you're, after reading that verse that we just read, and you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, here's what it has to do with. This is a picture of a love of overwhelming desire, because this is a woman who is longing to find her man. She's looking for this man that she's fallen in love with, and and he's not there in front of her. He's not there with her. And she's saying, like, where are you? They didn't have cell phones back then. This woman, this Shulamite woman could not go on, you know, find my phone and go to her, find my friends and and find where he is and, and go. She had to go look for him and she's saying like, where are you? I want to be with you. I long to be with you. I desire to be with you. And then in the second part of that verse, she says, why should I be like the other women who come alongside your companions and, and veil my face? Now, now here's the picture, the picture, and it's a beautiful picture we can't miss because of this love that is so important of the virtue and the value of love. She's saying that I do not want to go out and to walk along and to wander along among all the other shepherds looking for you, the man that I love, because if I do that and I, as the custom was, veil my face and walk out and look for you, people might confuse me for something that I'm not. They might think that I'm a wanderer. They might think that I'm a promiscuous woman who's out, a prostitute, looking for clients, looking for someone to be with. And that's not at all what she's saying. That's not at all the picture. What she's saying is that my love for you is so intense that I want to come find you. But as I do come find you, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. In other words, that's the picture of a love that is so overwhelming that she is willing to even put her own virtue, her own reputation on the line to find this man that she loves so much. Now, that's the, the, the picture, the, the love interpretation. That's the, the application in our lives of the kind of relationship that we're to have with our spouse. I remember Sherry and I, we've been married now for 28 years, coming up on 29 in September. And man, you know, I remember, it's still true, but back in like the days when we were dating, she lived in California, and I was living here in Virginia. So she's out in San Francisco. I'm here in Lynchburg. Kind of two opposites, right? You know, so San Francisco and Lynchburg. And, and that was back in the days before you had free long distance. And I know younger people in the room are like, like, what are you even talking about? So back in those days, just to give you a quick, uh, you know, statement here. So when you called someone who was not in the same city that you were in, you paid through the nose to talk to them. And so I remember back in those days when she was in California and I was here and we would talk on the phone, man, we would, you know, get on the phone late at night, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. We'd stay on the phone for two and three hours we would talk. I had no idea what we talked about. I'm sure it was like probably like of that two or three hours, there might have been like maybe 20 minutes of actual words and the rest of it was just like silence, but we were in love, you know. And so we just wanted to be on the phone together. You know, until, until, you know, my, my later, a few weeks later when, when the phone bill came in, my mom came in, what in the world is this? Because it was expensive. I mean, it was hundreds of dollars. In fact, honestly, you know, Sherry and I had to get married because we couldn't afford the phone bill. We, we had to, 
because we desired, we longed to be with one another, to talk to one another, to be connected to one another. We longed for that. Now listen, that's a beautiful picture, but it's also the picture that God wants us to have in our love for Him. That that spiritual interpretation is that's the kind of, of longing in our hearts that we need to have for God, that we desire to be with Him, we desire to talk with Him, we desire to be in His presence, and we will do whatever it takes to be there. And yet so many of us don't do that because we don't have the right kind of love for God. So the Song of Solomon is a picture of a love of overwhelming desire, but it also is a picture of a love that, you know, that gives completely. Look in this passage in this fourth chapter in verses 6 and 7. It says, before the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will make my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense, and you are absolutely beautiful, my darling, with no imperfection in you. Now, this is a statement uh, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4, literally of a man speaking to his, his bride, and now they're, they're married, and they're talking about the wedding night, and they're talking about the consummation of their marriage, where two people, a man and a woman that God has brought together, as it goes back to the book of Genesis where it talks about the man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. It's the picture of a man who is talking to his wife and on their wedding night that there is coming in a few moments, in, in just a short brief amount of time, the consummation of that relationship, that beautiful picture, that beautiful gift that is reserved only for the marriage relationship. It's a love that gives completely, literally saying, I give myself completely to you. The Bible talks about how our bodies do not belong to us, but rather our bodies belong to our spouses. And it's the idea that we are giving ourselves completely to them. Man, what a beautiful picture that is. There's nothing dirty about that. Hollywood has made it dirty. Hollywood has messed it all up. Hollywood has changed it where, where that's something that can be given anywhere to anyone at any time, and it's no big deal. It's a casual relationship. And yet God's own word says this is something that is to be cherished and to be treasured, and that relationship, that sexual relationship is reserved for a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage, period. But it's the kind of love that we give completely to the other. And so he's speaking to her, talking about that moment that is to come. Now listen, just as that is so important within the relationship of a, of a husband and a wife, and how important that is that we cherish and treasure that beautiful picture, it also is critically and vitally important that we recognize the great gift that that is, that in our relationship with God we give completely to Him. That we give ourselves completely over to Him, not one foot in and one foot out. I think we all know what happens in marriages when someone is kind of in and kind of out, where they don't take those vows serious, that covenant serious, they don't take that relationship serious. It's like not that big a deal, we can do this over here, and oh yeah, we're married, but you know, it's no big deal. You know, that, that, that idea that Hollywood has created, is, it, is a, it is a situation. It is a scenario that destroys everything that it touches. And while it does that in marriage, it does that in our spiritual walk too. When we're not willing to give ourselves completely to God, wholeheartedly, all in, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with loving Him with our bodies and our thoughts and, and our actions and our, our obedience, when loving Him completely by giving completely of ourselves to Him, when we don't do that, it messes up that journey that God has for all of us. So it's a love that gives completely, but it's also a love that overcomes. 
In other words, know this, in every relationship, there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. How many of you are married? Just raise your hand. Anybody? Just raise your hand. So let me ask you a question, honestly. In any of your, is there anybody here that has a perfect marriage where you've never had a problem, you've never had an argument, you've never had any disagreements whatsoever? Just raise your hand right now. Anybody at all in this room? Anybody? No. There are some guys out there that are like, like they, they were starting to raise their hand, their wife's like elbowed them and hit them, and the conflict starts all over again, right? Of course we don't. There's always problems. There's always crisis and conflicts in the midst of a relationship. And so this is a, a picture of the kind of love that overcomes even that. Because we live in a culture today where the world says, hey, when troubles come, throw it away. When crisis comes, find something new. When it gets too tough, just throw your hands up in disgust and turn your back on it and walk away from that woman because it's not worth it. Walk away from that man because he's no good and, and walk into a different scenario, a different journey and leave that marriage vow because it's not that big of a deal. But yet God intends for that love to be a love that overcomes. Look what it says in chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. She, speaking to him, I opened to my love, but my love had turned and gone away. I was crushed that he had left. I sought him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The guards who go about the city, they found me, and they they beat and wounded me. They took my cloak from me. The guardians of the walls, young women of Jerusalem, now speaking to them, I charge you, if you find my love, tell them that I am love sick. What makes the one that you love better than another, the chorus sings, most beautiful of women. What makes him better than another that you would give us this charge? The woman is saying, listen, things have gone bad, and there's separation here, and and he's gone, he's walked away, and I can't find him again, and I'm calling for him, and I'm seeking him, and I desire to find him. And while the culture might say, let him be, she's like, I've got to find him. My heart is lovesick. Friends, help me find my love. It's a love that overcomes no matter what crisis might be, no matter how difficult the day is, I will find him and I will seek him out because I love him that much. That's the picture of the kind of love, guys, ladies, that you're to have for one another within the marriage bond. Like, I don't care how bad it gets. And I'll be honest with you, I've been married 28, told you already, 28 and a half years. And man, we've had some great, great moments in those 28 and a half years. And there's been times in that 28 and a half years where I've messed up big time. Sherry's got a list. I mean, I'm telling you, I've blown it many, many, many times, but here's what I know. In the midst of every one of those mess-ups, in the midst of every crisis, in the midst of every conflict, how beautiful it is that no matter what, I know that when I come home from a bad day, my wife is going to be standing there, and she is going to love me unconditionally. How great is that? And that's exactly the love that God has for us, that God loves us with an unconditional love. It's a love that overcomes anything. No matter how many times you've messed up, and you have, I promise, God says, I love you anyway. Just just come on back. I'm looking, I'm I'm lovesick for you. I love you that much. So it's a love that overcomes. But it's also a love that lasts. It's a love that overcomes trials and tribulation, but it's a love that lasts till the end of days. To the moment when everything is over, when everything is ended, And the moment where I take my last breath, I know that I will look up into the eyes of the one that I love, both literally to my wife, spiritually to the God in heaven who's promised, I will love you no matter what. Look what it says in chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. 
Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Ardent love is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, the fiercest of all. Mighty waters cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. In other words, love cannot be destroyed. Love will last until the last day. That's the picture that is given here in the Song of Solomon, as Solomon and the wisdom that God granted to him in his young, early days when he falls in love with this woman. And we don't really know if this was like his first love, if this was the woman that he fell in love with first. You know Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Let me tell you what that means. That means that wisdom waned through the years, right? I mean, I'm telling you, I, I love Sherry, but I, I want one wife, okay, just, just one. Uh, you know, Sherry, there's no way she couldn't train a new one and I couldn't train a new one. I mean, we only want one. He had 700 wives. And so you think about that idea of 700 wives. We don't know if this was his first. We don't know, you know, the, the picture's not really clear, but here's what we know. As he's speaking to this woman, what he's saying to her, listen, there, no matter what, my love for you cannot go away. Now, obviously, you get the spiritual interpretation of this, right? Like you can, under, you can figure that one out for yourself, right? God has promised through the gift of His Son, Jesus, who died on the cross and who was buried and who rose again, to give to us the love that we could never have earned and we never could have imagined, and He promises us that that love will be ours until we are in His presence in heaven. That love will not end. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a love that never fails, that's God's design. We live in a world today where that love has been put down it has been trampled upon. It has been thrown out the window. It's a kind of love that, that the Hollywood and the rest of the culture thinks that doesn't exist. I'm telling you, young men and young women out here who are not married, here's what I want you to hear me. Do not settle for what the world throws at you. You settle for God's best because God will give you that kind of love. When you find that relationship, you look for the kind of love that is based on God's word, not the culture, not the world because that's the kind of love that makes all the difference. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for, Lord, the way that you speak wisdom to us, even in things as important as, as what the world might say is as minute or unimportant as things called marriage. God, you give us a clear picture of what it is and how valuable it is, how important it is. Thank you, God, for that. But God, we also know that in correlation with that, Lord, it's the same love you have for us, the same kind of relationship that you desire with each and every one of us. So I pray that that's what we would do, how we would live. Father, today, I pray for the people seated here, watching, listening. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that has not found that kind of love with you, that today they would say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's your son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. Save me today through your son, Jesus. And God will give you the praise. In a moment, we're going to stand, and our team is gathered here. Scott's going to lead us in the song. And I'm just going to ask you that as you're seated here, listen, this altar is going to be open. And maybe, maybe there are some of you, maybe some couples out here, maybe some young couples, like just starting out on the journey. And maybe, like, you want to come here and just, like, like, like just put God's, like, extra, you know, you already had it at your wedding service, but like an extra stamp on your wedding life. Like, we're going to do this right. We're going to love each other the kind of way that God tells us to love one another. Maybe you want to come and just kneel here and do that. Maybe there are some here today that have messed up. 
Maybe your marriage is faltering. Maybe you've not been treating your spouse the way that you should. Maybe you want to come here and just say, God, so, yeah, I've blown it, but thank you, God, for forgiveness. And I want to do it right from here on. Maybe you want to come today and the kind of relationship you want is a relationship with Christ. That you want to experience what it is that God has given to us through the gift of His Son. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you about that. Whatever it is that God is leading you to do, as Scott leads us and as we stand, I just encourage you to respond to the movement and the calling of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your mind right now. Let's stand and let's sing together. Jesus, we love you. And oh, how we this place, God, that you would allow us to take with us the heart, the desire, the passion for the kind of love that you want us to have for one another, but also for you, that we will live that out day in and day out, and God will give you the praise of what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now listen, before you leave, before you leave, the altar is going to remain open, encourage you to come down, but guys, ladies, I just encourage you, if you're married and maybe young, or maybe you've been married for a long time. You ought to go home, and together you ought to read through the book of Song of Solomon. You ought to get a, a really good, like online, you can find them for free. Uh, you can get a commentary that walks you through it. And to really see what it looks like to have the kind of marriage that honors God. If we, the Church of Jesus Christ, would begin to treat our marriages the way that God designed our marriages to be, we would change our culture and we would change our world by being a reflection of the love of Christ. I would encourage you to do that. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.